has broken every chain and there's salvation in his name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. In just a little bit, as we get ready to depart, we're going to come back together with a choir and you, and we're going to raise the roof. Today, our goal has been to do nothing but to point us to Jesus. The truth is, is that we get to Christmas time and we say, Jesus is the reason for the season. But I don't want you to miss this today. Jesus is our living hope. That's why the title of the message today is A Living Hope. And I pray that if he is not your living hope today, I pray that before we leave this building, I pray that he becomes your personal living hope. That's the only reason we have to celebrate today. We, we can only celebrate if Jesus is alive. For you see, if Jesus is not alive, he can offer us no hope. He can offer us no help. If Jesus is not alive, he cannot even offer you heaven. If Jesus is not alive, he cannot offer you eternity. If Jesus is not alive, we have no reason to celebrate except a thing called the Easter Bunny. If Jesus is not alive, we need to cease this meeting. We need to lock these doors. We need to sell this property. And we need to get on doing something else besides wasting our time here. But I want to tell you today, Jesus is alive. Amen. The Easter story. It's a story about life from death. It's a story about Jesus dying. Dying. He endured so much. And what he endured for was you. In the death of Jesus, the righteous one, he paid the debt. There's an old, old course that has these words. He paid a debt I did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. But now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. See, folks, today is all about life from lifelessness, life from death, life from darkness. Jesus has risen. The choir has sung about it. We have heard new song talk about God saying, Arise, my love, and seeing our young people embellish that message. We have sung about it. And now let's hear about it. Because Jesus is alive. This is Easter. Psalm 30 says, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. In fact, I read another translation that said, Weeping may come and spend the night with you, but joy comes in the morning. We can be excited and experience joy because we know the end of the story. They didn't know the end of the story. This morning, let's kind of take a walk down the line, down this story, and let's celebrate together. You already saw it. Put it back up there, guys, at Mark 15, if you will. Mark 15, 37, Christian Standard Version says, Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his laugh. The older translation says with a loud voice, he gave up the ghost. The point is, he was dead. He was graveyard dead. 
I mean, the, the truth is, there have been people through the years that have been trying to tell us that Jesus didn't really die. He really just kind of passed out on the cross. They call that the swoon theory. Some of you heard me articulate this, but for those who haven't, the swoon theory goes like this. Jesus on the cross succumbed to the heat and he passed out. So they thought he was dead, so they took him down and they wrapped him up and they put him in the tomb and they rolled that massive stone, one and a half to two ton stone, over the face of the tomb. Jesus, meanwhile, inside with the coolness of the tomb, stayed there a couple of days. He revived, he came back, he woke back up, he got up and he rolled Pud that one and a half to two ton stone out of the way, and he walked off on his way and did his own thing. Now, brothers, sisters, if you can believe that, the resurrection should be easy. Do you know why? I have a lot of problems with that outside of what the Bible says and what I personally believe, but let me give you some, for those pragmatists among us, let me give you some physical reason. We're going to put them on the screen up here. In fact, I'm going to change that to red. Let me give you... A few reasons why I have a problem with it. Jesus, when he had crucified, he had had nothing to eat or drink for over 24 hours. You already know that he's in a weakened condition just from lack of sustenance. And then think about the garden experience. That garden experience was not something to be trifled with. Medical people in our, in our room, you'll know, what I, you'll know this better than I. He got in the Garden of Eden and he was so emotionally uh, and ter- such turmoil that the scriptures say that he sweat drops of blood. That is a physical condition called hematidrosis where the capillaries in your skin erupt and it turns the sweat to bloody water. And it renders whoever does that, the, the patient, it renders them very weak. And it also renders them very sensitive to the touch, which is going to be big stuff when you think about the next thing. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails probably 39 times. Now, you know what a cat of nine tails is? You've been to Sunday school. It's about 18 inches of um, of a rod or a piece of wood or something, and then tied on the end of it are at least nine leather straps. On the end of those leather straps is either metal balls, metal fragments, rocks, bone, anything that could tear the flesh. Now, I know that Mel Gibson in The Passion of the Christ used... The less used uh, um, uh, uh, scourging method where you tied them down on the ground and beat them while they were on the ground, the more preferred scourging method was to tie, tie the victim's hands together and strip them naked and raise their hands up so their back muscles and everything was taunt. And the guy who handled that, that cat of nine tails, he knew what he was doing. And he would take that cat of nine tails and he would wrap it around the uh, victim, and just as those bones and nails and everything, he would pull it a little bit so it ripped the skin because they were into torture. Many people died at the scourging post. They became disemboweled at the scourging post and died. But certainly blood loss, when you think there could be no more blood in Jesus, but then they put the, the crown of thorns on his head, those six-inch thorns, and they beat on top of it. Just when you thought there was no more blood to come out, The most vascular part of the body, the skull, was perforated once again. Then he falls under the weight of the patibulum, likely on the verge of hypovolemic shock. Watch this. 
Most of us picture Jesus walking that quarter of a mile, half mile, up to, down to Via Dolorosa, up to Calvary, toting a full cross like you see here. The truth is that full cross weighed 650 pounds when it was put together, approximately. No way a healthy man could carry a cross up that, a full cross up that. But you take a man who'd been beaten, they, the Romans knew this because they knew how to be, how to torture people. This part of the cross is called the stapes, S-T-A-P-E-S. This is called the patibulum. And the size of that patibulum was about 150 pounds. They put that on the back of the, crucif- of the crucified one, and he started his journey, and he fell. Likely, Jesus collapsed with this hypo- hypovolemic shock. You know what that is? That's when you lose all your, or, or so much of your body fluids. I mean, think about how much blood and other things that he had lost, and he was just weakened. Then when you get there, they put the nails in his hands and feet. Now, I want you to think about this, about the, about the pain Jesus suffered. If I were to take you healthy, and I were to take a nail, a railroad spike, and I put it between your radial and your all and bone right here, and I put another one over here, and then I crossed your feet, and I drove a spike through your feet. Do you think that three days in a dark tomb you'd be ready to move a one and a half ton stone and go off about your way? And then there is the spear in his side. Now, this is the one that medical people will really come to life on. Likely, if you remember the scripture, it says that they perforated, it says it bled with bloody water. It's likely when they stuck that spear up in there that they perforated that sack of his heart. So he died of a broken heart. But I'm going to tell you the most prevailing one that lets you know that Jesus was actually dead. And that's the last one. The Roman guards knew. They were experts at death. They were experts at, par, at, at torture. In fact, as we will read in just a second in Mark chapter 15, when Pilate asked the centurion, when Pilate asked him and said, is he dead? If that centurion had certified him being dead and he wasn't, the centurion would have lost his life. These folks knew death. Here's what I did all of that to say this. Let nobody ever put in your mind that Jesus is anything but killed. He was dead. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died. And as I said a while ago in that song, I'll just tell you, Eric, you and the choir and the kids, y'all got all over me this morning. Today's the day that Jesus came back from the life. Jesus paid that debt. Put it back up there, guys. Jesus paid the debt that he didn't know. I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. I needed someone who would wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. All day long, Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. He did it all for me. He did it all for you. If you will, if you found Mark 15, would you stand with me as we pick up reading in verse 42? Verse 42. When it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, 
who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God. That means he got saved. Came boldly, came and boldly asked Pilate for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he being Jesus was already dead and summoned in the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down, wrapped him in linen. Then he laid him in a tomb cut out of rock and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were watching where he was laid. Let me pray for us. Father, in the moments that remain, I pray that you will impact our hearts. I pray that on this Easter day where we thank you so much for the freedom and the victory and the forgiveness that was won today, I pray that we will never lose sight that the fact Jesus went through all of this for us. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. From this point forward, this is what I want you to do with me. I want you to think about the tomb. If you're following the bulletin, there's only two points. The first point is that I want you to see, I want you to picture in your mind, is the closed tomb. The closed tomb. When they rolled that stone over the tomb, at least two women were sitting there. I'm guessing there were more, but only two were named. But they, can you imagine their emotion as the tomb was closed? What did it mean to them to see Jesus in the ground, tomb closed? What would it have meant to you to be standing there, to see Jesus in the ground, tomb closed? Well, I'm going to offer you three words to kind of, kind of surmise their, their feeling. First of all, it's the word disappointment. They were extremely disappointed. Can you imagine how disappointed they were with the tomb closed? Don't forget, they had a bunch of expectations for Jesus. It was expected that the Messiah would make their lives better. It was expected that the Messiah would deliver them from oppression. He did and he would. But listen, he didn't leave quite like they wanted him to. Jesus very rarely works like we want him to. In those days when they wanted him to drop a hammer on somebody, he extended grace. When they wanted him to extend grace, he dropped a hammer on somebody. Jesus didn't live by their rules. He doesn't live by my rules. He doesn't rule by my rules. He doesn't doesn't govern by your rules. He leads by a kingdom agenda. Not only did he not lead like they wanted him to, But they had pinned their beliefs on the fact that Jesus would give political leadership. That he would overcome the Roman rule and tyranny. That he would once again make them a strong nation. And when that tomb closed, their hope was gone. There was disappointment. Second thing I'd suggest to you is that they sensed the darkness. They sensed the darkness. When the tomb closed... It's like closing a closet. It's like closing a casket. They knew that when that stone was over there, the light was gone. And the darkness that permeated the the tomb 
permeate their hearts and the minds of all of those who followed him. Never forget what darkness is, brothers and sisters. Nobody had to invent darkness. Go back to Genesis 1 and getting God created the heavenly earth and he, he created light. But darkness hovered over the depths of the sea. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Darkness is one of those things... <laughs> My mom and dad never would let me stay out late because they said nothing good happened in the darkness. Darkness is Satan's thing. It's not God's thing. If something bad's going to happen, it's going to happen in the darkness. And when the darkness fell inside that tomb over the body of Jesus, it cast a long shadow over those followers who had committed themselves. And, and for three days, they just kind of stumbled around. Third thing that jumps out at me about this closed tomb is not only disappointment, darkness, but also death. Behind that stone, I tried to find you a picture of a closed tomb, and I couldn't. Behind that stone was darkness and death. Inside that grave, in their opinion, there was only a shell of the one they knew as Jesus. And when, I, when that stone falls into place, the way, I'm going to tell you what I thought of. As I was reading that this week, I thought of the old movie trilogy, Star Wars. It was The Empire Strikes Back. Luke was stuck out in the snow. It was getting dark. They had to close the shield or everybody inside the fort would die. But Luke and Hans, of all people, were still out there. They made it, but let me tell you this. When the door closed, Princess Leah said, close the door. Nobody wanted her to because they didn't want to lose Hans and Luke, and they knew they would. And I remember as that door creaked shut, creaked shut, and then it slammed. And I remember the old fuzzy Chewbacca just let out a cry. Everybody else was in tears because hope was gone. That closed door meant for Luke and Hans, it's over. There, there is no hope. Please listen to me. On, on Resurrection Day, if the tomb is closed, there is no hope. On Crucifixion Day, they closed it. And all onlookers knew it was, there was no hope. There, there is no possibility. There, it, it's over. I, I mean, it's gone. In fact, they heard Jesus on the cross saying, It is finished! If the tomb is still closed on this day, it is finished. It is over. Hope is gone. We have no hope. We have no help. But now as Paul, what's his name? In the 60s, the rest of the story. Thank you. I knew somebody would tell me that. Paul Harvey. Now for the rest of the story. If you still have your Bibles open, look at verse 16. In fact, so I don't lose you, why don't you stand to honor the reading of God's Word? Verse, chapter 16, verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. 
very early in the morning on the first day of the week. They went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed or afraid. Don't be afraid or alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. Would you read that with me? He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Thank you. You may be seated. We focused on the closed tomb. Now I want you to focus on the open tomb. And I found you a picture to see it. This is our message today. It is life from death. It is hope from hopelessness. It is from darkness to light. It is all about Jesus. Last week in the deacons meeting, Ryan Stringer brought the devotion. And he called it the comeback kid. When you thought there was no coming back, here he comes back. On Sunday morning that we just read about, the ladies started toward the tomb. They started toward the tomb that they thought was closed. And when they got there, when they got there, all history changed. When they got there, they could see they could see a discovery that will not live in infamy, but it will live in eternity. I want to give you three thoughts as we end. First thought, when I think of this open tomb, I think of activity. Activity. With a closed tomb, everybody was kind of dormant, and they were sad, and they were sorry, they were alone, they were stayed. When the women came to the tomb, a plethora of activity started. A closed tomb leads to inactivity. An open tomb with the occupant gone, and he, with a message, he's not here, he's alive, changes everything. There was just, you read it, it doesn't matter which gospel you read, there was a flurry of activity that day that produced a groundswell of running and talking and shouting and caring. Can you imagine the confusion that day? They went there to find a dead Jesus and they found a live empty tomb. And the message, he is alive. That stone that was sealed, that was secured, that was guarded by soldiers, it was moved aside. You see, the truth is, is that the obstacle that they had been so concerned about had been rolled back. And there was hope for everybody. Never underestimate the value of activity. Church, there is nothing spiritual about being dormant. There is nothing spiritual about being stayed. There is nothing spiritual about being passionless. Where there is life, there is activity. 
If you want to go to a place where there's not a lot of activity, try Colonial or Hathorne. For the balance of this message, I want to make this as personal as I can, if you'll allow me. Because the activity around the open tomb led to this truth of access. Access. When they started, please stay with me. If I've lost you, please stay with me just a few more minutes. When they started to the tomb, they were worried about how they were going to get in to Jesus. Who would roll the stone away from them? How would it happen? What they didn't know is that it had already been taken care of. The stone had been rolled away. Access had been granted. I'll remind you, we didn't read it, but I'll remind you that on crucifixion day, that the great veil in the temple was rent, was torn, like from top to bottom, like somebody took it and tore it just like that, like you do a sheet. That didn't mean much to us, but it did mean something to the people of that day. For you see, in that time, before Jesus died, common people like you and me, we, couldn't, we could not approach the mercy seat. We couldn't enter the Holy of Holies. It was behind the veil. Only the priest could go in there. You and I, we needed an intercessor, a mediator, a blood sacrifice. And now Jesus had died. He opened the veil because he became your intercessor. He became your mediator. He became your blood sacrifice. Access is granted. Read the book of Hebrews. We can now approach the throne with confidence in Jesus. If you get nothing else that I'll say today, hang on to this. The stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so we could get in. Jesus God's only Son, the second person in the Trinity. God Himself, God Man. Well, Brother Jerry, can you explain it? Nope. I sure can't. I have a finite mind. But I will believe this book, and this book, book says He's all of God, He's all of man. You try to explain it, you may lose your mind. You explain it away, you may lose your soul. He went from... Impossible to unstoppable. I know nobody else has this problem but me because most of you know that my brain doesn't work right. In fact, in recent days, for those who are our guests, we're glad to have you. I hope you'll fill out a guest card in the pew in front of you. But for those who know me, is that uh, I have had some wonderful responses to my little heart catheterization of things that are going on in my heart because I put out that... They just, when they catheterized my heart, they found out I had one. Amen. Amen. And all my real dear friends said, okay, Brother Jerry, just don't let them do a CAT scan on your head. That... <laughs> but I have this problem. I get, I get distracted. Do any of you ever get distracted? 
Thursday afternoon, I was working on this message. I was praying through it. I was studying. And I got to this point, and I got so distracted. As I thought about access to God the Father through Jesus the Son. And my mind went back 30 years to an acquaintance friend, Roger Breland. And the group that he led was Truth. It was a song that they did. Spoke to this. I can go into the Holy of Holies. I can kneel and make my petitions known. I can go into the Holy of Holies. And although I'm just a common man, Because of God's redemption plan, I can boldly approach His throne. I'll just tell you, I lost about two hours. I listened to that and I worshipped and I listened to that and worshipped. Because you see, before Jesus, common man like you and me couldn't approach the throne. But in Jesus, we can come to Him. And that brings me to my last thought. When we can come to Him, that means there is availability for you and I to know Him personally and to be saved. Because He's alive. Because the tomb is empty. The mercy seat's available. Salvation's available. It's the place where God gives mercy. It's the place where God grants grace to everybody who responds. But I need to be clear this morning. Because we get all caught up on Easter Sunday morning. Just because it's available, just because you have access, does not mean it's automatic. Talk about getting distracted. The truth is is that people get distracted by a bunch of things when it comes to their relationship with God through Jesus. There are many people that are dependent on their grandpa, who was a preacher, to get them into heaven. Or their daddy, who was a deacon, to get them into heaven. Or their sister-in-law, who was a great lady in the church. Or their mom. They're dependent on all kinds of things. And listen, neither your mom, your dad, your sister-in-law, your brother-in-law, or anybody else can speak for you. It's what you do. With Jesus. You see, too often, too often we get distracted by the family and the flowers and the colors and the music. And by the way, great worship music today, guys. We get, but we get distracted about all of those things. Or we get distracted about the world's rendition of Easter. Easter is not about a bunny or candy. Although that is a fun part. Easter is about life from death. It is about eternal life versus eternal death. This is about Jesus coming to give you life that you can't get on your own. It's about Jesus making you right with God. This week I read a story about a man who was on a mission field.
And they took their first Uber ride back to the, to the airport. And uh, um, the driver was a non-Christ follower. He, he had been raised in Islam. And they just get a conversation. And the writer said, and you know what? He said, I just said to him, wouldn't you like to know God personally? And the man was stunned. You mean I can know God personally? So he started talking to him. And four times on the trip to airport, you mean I can know God personally? Brothers and sisters, that is why Jesus came. That's why God sent his one and only son, the second person of the Trinity, to give his life for you so you can know God personally. That's what the open tomb, empty tomb is all about. Let's pray together.